you have a laptop or a notebook? Hmm. I have a MacBook Pro. What does that count as? You have a MacBook. Okay. Yeah. So it's a book. It is not, a book. Not a Mac. Not a Mac top. <laughs> no. And it is using Apple Silicon, so it doesn't burn me if I put it on my lap. <laughs> I was at some people's speculation about this name change. <laughs> yeah. Now that they've switched to Apple Silicon, they can they can call them laptops for legal reasons that they couldn't before. Yeah. So what's this story about? This is something that you uncovered. Yeah, that I thought nobody would care about, but it was actually relatively popular. <laughs> but basically, yeah. I just there's a Twitter account that um, follows the Apple support knowledge base, and it tweets if there's changes to the articles. And usually, we use it for like if there's a new article, it might have some information in it, like uh, MacBook Pro high power mode or something like that. But in this case, over the last like week or so, I just saw so many of these things come up, and it had the the the, the tweets have a little diff, like so you can click on the screenshot and it shows you what's changed and these were like years old articles, like sometimes 10 year old articles talking about the Heartbleed exploit in Intel chips from five years ago, you know, like complete stuff that is so far in the archive, no one's ever going to look at it anymore because it's not even relevant. And all Apple was doing was changing the words notebooks to laptops or sometimes Mac laptops. I was like, huh, that's weird because obviously in presentations, Apple has always used the word notebook. And I, I've always attributed this to like a Phil Schiller thing. Like it always seemed like he liked the word notebook, but I don't know if that's true or not. But so much in marketing, Apple would call them their notebook lineup. And then all these things kept changing to laptops. So I did a bit more digging. Turned out the Apple store, like Apple online store, was also changing all of its references from notebook to laptop too. It isn't complete there. Like they, you can definitely find pages which still refer to them as notebooks, but all the new pages say laptop and they have started converting some of the old pages to use the new nomenclature as well. And it turns out in macOS Ventura, so the current beta version of macOS, they've actually changed the default name when you make a new, when you set up a new Mac. So previously it would be like, you know, Benjamin's MacBook Pro. But now if you set up a new Mac on Ventura, it will default to Benjamin's laptop. So what? this this name change is going everywhere. That part that part doesn't make any sense to me. I, I get the laptop no, notebook to laptop change is just more common among people looking for portable computers. But I, I don't get the the taking out the like your name part of about it because I, I feel like the other one is like just for discoverability and consistency. But that the naming of your machine, like if you've got multiple laptops, then you've got Benjamin's laptop, Benjamin's laptop parentheses too. But if you, I mean, this is a pretty niche problem. But that, that's anyway. the same on iOS as well, though. Because on yeah. iOS, the default name is not like Benjamin's iPhone 14. Say, it's Benjamin's yeah. iPhone. But it doesn't say Benjamin's smartphone. I feel like Benjamin's laptop is like that. It's- but I, I think they don't want to call it like Benjamin's MacBook. They want like a category name for all of their laptops. And so they've landed on laptop. Like, I guess in the old nomenclature, it would be Benjamin's notebook. <laughs> That's but like it wasn't equivalent. though, right? Like it was. But it, it wasn't. Was never no, notebook. they they would yeah. say MacBook Air or MacBook Pro. Yeah. But whereas on iOS, it's always just been iPhone or iPad. They've never had like iPad seventh generation or iPhone fourteen or iPhone thirteen. So that's like when I bought my iPhone fourteen and set up as new, it got Benjamin's iPhone and it just got like a brackets two written on the end. Uh, yeah. I, I wonder. Name. I wonder if when people like restore from another machine, transfer over, like if it keeps the previous machine's name or if it changes. I don't know. It probably know. keeps it because I mean, if you upgrade like an iCloud <laughs> backup, it doesn't change the name or anything, does it? So. No, yeah, yeah. And That's... I'm pretty sure if you're using an, an iMac or a Mac Mini, it still says those names. It's only for the laptops that they've changed it. And again, this is in the beta period, so they might change it back, or it might only be for certain models or something. But 
definitely on the on the website they've they've given up on the notebook naming which i think you does know, make sense because if notebook like nobody in the real world calls them notebooks they might call a macbook i feel i feel like a lot of people say that um but i, I always hate that i always call them laptops because that's what they are and yeah i guess in a few years ago if you did put them on your lap they did get pretty warm uh but i use my laptop basically as a desktop and i still call it a laptop so i'm happy that apple's modernized their the way they they describe their own products i guess because it matches what i call them in this home we say macbook i'll just just put that out there you know what it is though is they took the name off of the uh the front display of the computers they put it you know like they don't have the label there anymore on the macbook pro or they don't have it anywhere on the macbook air so they can't use that that name they don't know what to do there. they just say laptop now so wait for the Mac event that isn't happening this month, and we'll see what they call them in that press release. Well, it's not—it's not called an event anymore. It's called—it's not an Apple event anymore. It's a company gathering of people uh, just going really high level here. Yeah. Also, did you know that the AirPods Pro, like one and two, you can double and triple click to go forward and backward on a, a checklist? Uh, I can't believe we forgot about this. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I forgot about it. Like. It was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did know this, like, when the AirPods were brand new, like, AirPods yeah. were brand new, and then it's just been lost to time, because on our last episode, we were talking about how it would be nice if there was a tertiary action on AirPods Pro, and we got loads of feedback from people saying, well, actually, you can double-click the button, and it does something else, yeah. and like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, yeah. That is so awful thanks, on that th- one. thanks for everyone for, for bringing me back to Earth on that one, I... I yeah, I even like went for a run this past week and uh, and you know you used the feature like naturally instinctively as I always have, so it was just a total lapse in memory. Um, I will say though, I published my AirPods Pro two review this morning, mm-hmm. and um, in writing that, again, thanks to everyone saving me the embarrassment of putting that on, in text on the website as well. Uh, and Ernie, I did come across a an, an, a new idea that I'd like to um amend my 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 request from last week into and that is so you've got so much covered you can click once for play pause you can double click to go forward triple click to go back on the track list you can now swipe up and down for volume control you can squeeze to change the audio mode from noise cancellation or transparency or optionally you can add in no mode there or you can even have one airpod do that and have the other one activate siri and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, they've got every action that earpods, wired earpods can do now, since they've added volume, except for seek forward or backward in a track. And so you can go on, you can go forward or backward on a track list, but not on a track itself, which is a thing you can do. Well, you can seek forward on earpods. It's it's a double click and hold gesture, I believe, or you know, movement. And you can't do that on on uh, AirPods Pro or AirPods of any kind. So, what I what I reckon they ought to do is this: the volume up and volume down gesture is very. I, I like it a lot. Swipe gesture, but just like this, just like how you can have one be click to or squeeze to change mode or squeeze to use Siri on either AirPod. You could have one be volume and then one swipe gesture on the other one be seek forward, seek back. And not so much in songs is, is not really what I'm thinking about, although it could be that. But I listen to a lot of podcasts with AirPods. And when I'm on an interface that's visual, I often use the skip forward 30 seconds or skip back 15 seconds. 
And uh, I think that'd be a pretty cool thing to assign to that gesture if you were if you wanted to have one be volume and one be that. Uh, and and well, then you, you can do you can tell Siri to do it, obviously. But. No, 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 no. Siri, no, it's, it, I've mentioned in the review as well. You've always been able to tell Siri to change your volume, but it just isn't good. Like, you know, it, I think it's fine for HomePod. Like, it's just natural. But on the AirPods, it's like that's probably the least efficient way. You know, it's like change it with your buttons on the phone in your pocket, or change it with your watch on the, with the digital crown, or use Siri. Like using Siri is especially because it's like increments. But yeah, yeah. I mean, if I if I want to skip forward maybe like a minute and a half and then go back 50, 15 seconds. That's four commands with Siri. So having that tied to a gesture option, I think is totally possible and would be very cool. And that's, that's my, it's a that's, fair my request. New, that's my, that's my new one. Uh, also this week I went to the Apple store, have some experience with uh, Apple store things now, including handling the iPhone 14 plus. Um, so, this I don't know is, how you could have is, imagined what that would be like. It's like so such a different experience as a product. You know, I I did have like a, a, just a thought that I, you know, of course could could know before, but didn't think about. Um, you know, the, the big thing is you, you know, as we know from like the reviews and everything is you know you you get the bigger screen for less money than you than you would if you had the Pro phone. Um, and of course, like we mentioned this in previous years, um, but the bigger phones have also had the materials of steel instead of aluminum on the frame and that 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 weighs stuff um and so it's my first impression it was just like oh yeah was picking up the the red iphone 14 plus you know thinking yeah this is big because i'm using a, a pro non 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 max phone and um just thinking, oh this is so light like compared to my smaller iphone this thing is really light and it just kind of feels like like a mini like there's something about the the lack of heft to it that does make it feel like okay this is this is worth being an option in the lineup, not just for cost, because the cost thing is kind of confusing. It's like you you could get a better phone with a 13 Pro Max than you would with a 14 Plus. You know, this year at least that's that's part of the equation, and every year I think that'll be part of the equation. Uh, but but the lightness factor of it all is like really it's it's uh, it's it's really nice. <laughs> you pick it up and it's like oh, there's this big thing and it's lighter than the, than the smaller thing in my other hand. So that, that's yeah, my... aluminium, no steel. Yeah, less less components, less less screens, less less cameras. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if anyone is a, is an iPhone 14 plus, uh, you know, fan, I think that's fair. Oh yeah, I, I think, think it's. I yeah. think it would do well. It's price like price is good. Big screen is what people want. Uh, my mum got a. She upgraded her 6s at the beginning of the year to a 12 Pro Max. Uh, but if there had been a, you know. 12 plus in that generation she'd have got that one instead like she just wanted the screen yeah. size you know yeah so i think it'll do well over time I, I, everybody keeps saying that it's selling badly at the moment but it's like i, th- it's I think it's sold product. i think it's sold poorly before it was on sale <laughs> i guess and it's definitely not a uh a pre-order kind of product because it's it's boring <laughs> like it's fine it's good but it's it is, it is a bit boring but, but if if you walk into a you know smartphone store and you pick up the 14 and the 14 plus and you're like oh it's a hundred dollar difference or you know a couple bucks a month difference if you're financing it that way then it's like and you want a big screen it's just kind of a no-brainer i think yeah exactly. if that's what you're looking for you're comparing it to the 14 happy hour this week is brought to you by zocdoc before you book somewhere to eat for dinner surely you're pouring over lists and lists and checking out the reviews to find what's best So why not do the same when you're booking a doctor's appointment? With ZocDoc, you can. See real, verified patient reviews to help find the right doctor in your network and in your neighborhood. 
ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. Go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour to get the app and sign up for free. ZocDoc has thousands of providers listed in one application. You can find every type of specialist, whether you're trying to straighten your teeth, fix an achy back, get that mole checked out, or anything else, ZocDoc has got you covered. And the app is super simple to use. Search, find, and book doctors in just a few taps. You can instantly read up on doctors in your area and see what real humans had to say about their visit with verified patient reviews. Just go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot, and select whether you want to see the doctor in person or via a video visit. So now when you walk into that doctor's office, you're all set to see someone in your network who gets you. Every month, millions of people are using ZocDoc. It's the go-to place whenever you need to find and book a quality doctor. So go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. Once again, that's ZocDoc.com slash happy hour, spelled Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash happy hour. Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring the show. All right. Uh, this this week, uh, I've also got something something new from this last week to talk about, and that is the Apple Watch Ultra. I finally got my hands on one and and, and on one now. So, any, nice. any questions you have? Any questions about that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got a, like a, a a wider question, and then you can sure. talk about some details. So, my wider question is: Do you think the Apple Watch Ultra is the most interesting product that Apple released this year? Because I was thinking about this, the iPhones are pretty iterative. The watches were pretty iterative outside of the Ultra, and they haven't. They did the Mac Studio, I guess. That'd be the that'd be the the thing to go up against, and maybe the MacBook Air M2. Like, but even the MacBook Air doesn't feel as it was a nice upgrade, but it felt just like, I guess, because it was more expected and less crazy. The Ultra is like kind of out there, and just in terms of not necessarily in terms of utility or you know, what you actually need every day in terms of necessity or what you're using for productivity or anything like that. But I just feel like in terms of the most interesting thing Apple launched this year, it's probably a toss-up between, like, the Mac Studio or the Studio Display and the Ultra. What do you, what do you think about that? Uh, I guess just, like, ranking those, the Mac Studio is interesting, especially because it's a new name, but if they called it the Mac Mini Pro or, mm. or the, the Mac Pro Mini, like, it, it would be less interesting. I think the name just does a lot of, a lot of work there. Because it really is just a Mac Mini, but taller and with more ports and with more power. Um, so and because it, they hadn't done a Mac Mini with a pro, like an M1 Pro chip, the jump right. up in performance straight to the Mac is a lot more noticeable for people. That and it's bored. literally the Mac Mini design, but taller, but extruded upwards. Yeah, because the 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 M1 Ultra chip is obviously twice as powerful as the M1 Max chip. But most people that I know that. But what Mac Studio didn't bother getting the Ultra chip because it's just overkill or whatever, or or, the, or that category of people are waiting for a Mac Pro, or they want to at least see what the Mac Pro will offer before they commit to the four thousand dollar Mac Studio. Like when you got your Mac Studio, you're doing you know blogging kind of kind of activity, so you got the M1 Max, and it was more than powerful enough for you, if you see what I mean. So like mm-hmm. the the Ultra and the uh, like that was the actual new part of the Mac Studio. Really, was that chip because mm-hmm. the M1 Max exists in the laptops, and the performance is basically identical. So the actual like new part of that machine is kind of niche. It's four thousand dollars and four thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. the The studio display it, it's interesting in like the story point of view, not like the specs point of view. The story being that Apple, you know, left the display market, and then the LG was terrible, and then 
they had the ProDisplay XDR from is it $6,000 starting price? Mm-hmm. Sans, Sans? Uh, so just that they came back into the market with their own Apple display was like a very interesting story and, and like a finally, but specs wise, it, it's exactly what we've like, the, it's the bare minimum that anybody wanted in terms of the studio display. Um, yeah, we actually have a new story about that in a little bit. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think the most interesting thing about the studio display, like lately, especially, you know, I mean, at the time it was like the webcam mismatch now <laughs> the, <laughs> with stage manager. I think now the most interesting thing, like in the last couple of days, is that they've got them on the refurbished store on Apple's website and you can get the nano texture matte finish for $9 more than you, you know, refurbished for $9 more than you can get the non nano texture brand new. So to me, that's like, huh, cool. <laughs> you can spend $9 more, you know, if you don't care about the refurbished nature of it, which I think is from Apple is totally fine. And uh, you get that better option. So this, this, that bring, you know, the, the, the more affordability of, of that option to me is interesting, you know, especially because they, they, they didn't, they did matte displays on, on what was previously known as notebooks, you know, uh, on MacBook uh, Pro 17 inch, for example, and uh, that went away, and and then Nano Texture came, and it's like a thousand dollar upgrade on the Pro Display XDR. So then you're looking at seven thousand. So to bring that, you know, to have something that's priced at sixteen oh nine before tax is is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, and more more on that later. For, what, something I am, I'm noticing is that uh, there's a lot of coverage right now because of Google doing their Pixel Watch of of uh, this, this narrative that this year, like in this fall 2022 season of, of technology upgrades, that smartphones are more, or excuse me, smartwatches are more interesting than the smartphones this year. And when, when they, you know, push that narrative, the example is not the series eight apple watch because it is the least interesting apple <laughs> it's the watch least in interesting years. thing ever yeah yeah it's the apple watch ultra and the and then the google pixel watch so you know you, you've got to omit the the like the mainline apple watch in that case to, to to make that story um the apple watch ultra it feels great to me as an apple watch enthusiast because it feels like it it feels to me just like when you went from the series three to series four mm. and it was like, you know, and me and you appreciated like the differences in that a lot of, I think like more, more widely. It's like, what, what, what's different? Like when we had, yeah, people keep saying it. now they're talking about the ultra that like, this is the first time they've ever been a design change to the Apple watch. And I'm yeah. like, uh, no, the, the, the series three to series four was definitely a design change. Like yeah. it was the same, um, like genealogy, right? Cause it was, yeah. you know, they hadn't like, ripped up the the playbook and started brand new but it was clearly a redesign in just like you go from like the iphone 6s line to the iphone 10 kind of line like that was you'd still look at a redesign even though it was still an iphone that had rounded corners and it was a you know like so and it didn't like fold in half or anything but like you would still call that a redesign and the apple watch series 32 was definitely a redesign and i think the series 7 with the bigger edge-to-edge screen you could maybe argue that was a design change as well because i do think it makes a difference when you look at it in person compared to the the older ones too it was definitely a more minor revision compared to series 3 to 4 but you can't say the ultra is the first time they changed the design because it's the series 3 to series 4 definitely deserves to have its own like marker in history as, as the design change of the apple watch yeah ultra is like a i mean it's like a more jarring change but it's definitely not the first like when i remember when we had the scoop of the series four design like days before it was revealed uh a new york times reporter was like asked, you know talking to me about the situation and everything for a story that they were doing and uh he was like 
how can you tell it's different? Like, what, <laughs> like, look at it. The screen's bigger. The bezel's smaller. The, the overall shape has changed. It's less boxy now. It's like, you know. And, and I mean, I you think, look at the Pixel Watch and the bezels yeah. on that are like so reminiscent of the Series 3 and earlier Apple Watch design. Because it, yeah. it's a circular screen, but the percentage of bezel and screen is pretty ginormous on the Pixel Watch, just like the Series 1 to Series 3 Apple Watches. And they do, and they've gone down the same um, strategy of using software to kind of like vignette the edges. So they try and hide the bezels, just like they did with the first Apple Watches, right? Like all of the original round of Apple Watch faces all did that trick of like making it mostly black and hiding away from the edge. And then with the Series 4, as they got to a more, you know, thin bezel design, they then embraced the whole screen with the watch face and they've just you know pushed on that even further with the with the more recent revisions and the pixel watch is that exact same playbook uh repeated yeah i i just i just sent you a tweet over iMessage that i did last night but it, the the tweet is that the text is apple watch ultra but with 2015 bezels and what it is it's a photo of my apple watch ultra with the utility watch face screenshotted on the on the watch, saved to the iPhone, then favorited on the iPhone, so it goes back to the watch and the Photos app, and then like zoomed it back, so it looks like it's very tiny with like really thick bezels around it. That and, and so many people are are applying to that and saying, looks like the Pixel, <laughs> like <laughs> just to, just to your point. Um, and don't so, get me wrong, yeah. I think the Pixel Watch is kind of cool, but it definitely has a big bezels. That's just a that's just a fact. Yeah, you know, it doesn't have those a flat tire like the Moto. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. Three sixty. But I think the Moto three sixty bezels on the other three edges are actually thinner. But they did yeah. have the Does tire. Does Mo- Motorola still exist? Unknown. They probably make. Is that a patent software. factory now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but to so be yeah, clear, I, that that thing you just the image of the tweet. Yeah. That's not what the utility face looks like on it, right? That's a screenshot that you've taken. As a screenshot, yeah. and then with the crown, zoom out so you it's even it out to simulate the bezels. Okay, I was going to say because yeah. that's pretty ridiculous if that is the actual utility face on there. But yeah, the, no, the actual no, no. face does fill the watch. Yeah, it, yeah. well, well, t- more than that one does. Yeah, the, the top half does since they've updated the complications. But you may recall my um, continuing complaint that they updated the the complications for the you know what they call rich notif- rich complications now, which is mm-hmm. the series four from twenty seventeen and on. Um, but the bottom one is still like the the smile <laughs> complication, um, where it's it it wraps around the dial, which means curvy text, which is so an apple to me. Um, but it means that you've got these big blank areas on the bottom. And then when you do the always on face, and I know that um you haven't experienced always on yet, but um on a watch, but when you do that, the watch face does shrink down. And so at that point it does like because it is artificially like, you know, it's got it's got unused screen even more around it it does look more like that picture that i tweeted out but at least <laughs> on the bottom half but yeah uh i mean just to go back to your original question more interesting though you know is, is the watch the most interesting thing from apple this year um i i think if i were ranking them i would say the iphone 14 pro slash pro max because of the dynamic island and just that like you know the, the same energy in terms of the design um, in software as the iPhone 10 gesture system, because I think that's like, you know, that that's the beginning of the next like several years of, of you know, state of the art iPhone. And it applies to so, so many more people like the Apple watch is already going to be a fraction of iPhone. And then the ultra is going to be a fraction of Apple watch. Mm. But the iPhone 14 pro, I think is like, that's, I think that's like the, if I were like highlighting, you know, what was the most interesting thing in tech from Apple in 2022, I think it would be that. Um, 
and 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 partly because they watch Ultra, it's literally an Apple Watch, you know, Series Eight with a new case and some new, you know, behind that case, you've got some new new specs like longer battery life and a brighter display. But you know, it, if aside from like if you just wear it day to day because you like the way it looks, which I think is totally fair, then it it it's not even as big of a change as like the the dynamic island. The I think it, is. Okay. yeah. And, and, and that's with, that's even with like considering the Dynamic Island, like it's, it's kind of compared to the initial ad where it's like boom, boom music. And it's all about Dynamic Island animations going in and out, like flying left and right. Um, it's, it's, I think even still like even just taking the iPhone screen and not having a connected bezel on the top, uh, is more interesting, but so I'm glad, you know, <laughs> so that, that, I guess that's where I'll land on that. Um, and another thing is, it, it, it's funny to me that um, on on the Apple Watch uh, Ultra with the new Wayfinder face, there is you know how you go through the customization of the watch faces, and there's like color um, complications and other other like sections of screens to customize. Mm. There's one on the Wayfinder screen called bezel, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and it means the bezel of the watch. Like, what do you what do you inlay within the dial, whether it's nothing or incline or longitude latitude. Um, but it just like, that's basically how you pick iPhones this, these days too. It's like, well, what kind of bezel do you want? You want a forehead, uh, notch or an Island. So, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm super happy. I ended up, I, I eventually got one and it, it kind of became like my birthday treat for me last week. It arrived the day after. And, um, it, it's also very reminiscent for me of the original Apple watch launch because it is like a new, um, it's, it's a more drastic change than any previous Apple watch design change. Like you can see the, the way that they all evolve over time. And then this one is like, well, what happened there? That's like a pretty, pretty big splinter off of the design. Um, and I'm fortunate that like, <laughs> that, it, that it, I think like wrist size, it's a good match taste wise. It's more fitting than I even expected to begin with. And then band wise, this is where it kind of like goes back to the first watch for me, because initially when the first watch came out, I wanted to pre-order the stainless steel Apple watch with the black uh, leather loop. You remember that? I think that's just about gone now, but um, it was it was just like all leather, all. Oh, it did have like a little loop around, like a little metal part where it looped through. It was before they had the, the modern version of like the leather magnetic strap. Mm-hmm. but um i wanted that but the ship times were like further out so i ended up getting classic buckle for day one delivery and i ended up liking that much more than than the leather loop in actuality um or whatever it was called back then maybe leather loop is a newer name for it but anyway so it was like i think i want one thing based on the website and then on the hands-on experience like actually the thing that i settled for is i like better than the thing that i wanted in the first place same thing here i i settled well I settled on the yellow ocean band for faster delivery. This is through Amazon. And, um, and I, and I got it. And it's like, um, probably what I'm going to do is like put on another strap on the Apple Watch Ultra than not use the leather one. Cause it's like so bright, <laughs> different from what I would normally choose. Well, the yellow. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I didn't like any of the bands that I like, like the non ultra bands that I put with it, including like just simple sport. Um, the, I think the the solo loop is like the the you know solo sport thing is uh like the the width of it is thicker consistently than the than the just the sport band is so I kind of liked that but it was just so 
so light compared to the even you know the watch on top that it felt just like a huge mix, mix uh, mismatch for me. Um, so I ended up like wearing the Yellow Ocean band for a couple of days. Then kind of liked it, like liked the band. The color was was acceptable for me. Um, and I went to the Apple Store a couple of days later and bought the Starlight version of the Alpine Loop band, and that's what I would have ordered like if all things were equal in terms of delivery times. And I bought that. I took it home, used it for a few days, and like I, this, even like the first impression was just kind of like, oh, this isn't really what I what I expected in terms of just like the way it feels and like the quality of it all and everything. Like it just feels it feels less. It feels like like a paper towel kind of. Oh, really? and yeah, and, and you know the 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 G hook way of connecting it like all that was okay it just feels like very thin and like you could take a pair of like kids fisker scissors and cut it in half you know so didn't love that kind of kind of thought on it It was like you still can't really get the trail loop quickly unless you order a brand new watch with a trail loop on it and i even went in the apple store and tried like after i realized i don't really like the starlight alpine loop I said, well, let me just go look at the other colors of, of bands and the other colors of Alpine Loop and an Ocean Band and see what I actually prefer. And they didn't have Trail Loop there either. So for some reason, those have just been very hard to, you know, to find initially. Um, that was the case for pre-orders as well. But like you, you can find a Trail Loop Apple Watch Ultra with like three day shipping from Best Buy, for example. But I think if you look on Apple's website, it's like late November, December for standalone or with the watch. Um, but I, I tried out the different colors of Alpine Loop once I realized I didn't love the Starlight one. And, you know, the orange one is like that's the the main one that they show with that Watch Ultra matches the orange um, international orange button, etc. The green one, I think, is like it's not for me, but I think it's the nicest looking of the three uh, in terms of just like the way the watch looks with it. The, and then I tried the white and yellow or excuse me, the white and midnight color ocean band. And I've always liked the white sport band from the start and um you know our mutual friend steven hackett he's he's found that the white ocean band is like his and it's kind of reminiscent of the first watch and pairing it with a white sport band and that is the one for me i ended up returning the starlight alpine selling the yellow ocean band to a follower on twitter and um and and, and the white ocean band i'm so happy with it like i don't foresee changing it like even when the trail loop comes out i do want to try the the darker colored trail loop but i'm not sure i don't think i'll like it as much as i like the white ocean band so okay yeah that's my that's my band thing um screen wise i i love the screen size like it's it's (laughs) it's i don't have great eyes and i probably would benefit from the larger iphones visually just from everything being bigger, but it's the one handed use that I think turns me off ultimately or the slower shipping times. Uh, And with this Apple watch, there's like the non color corner complications that are like, like for example, the, the count, the, the date one where it's got the day of the week, the current date, and then the day before the day after on the slider, like, I can see that very well in color, but when it's uh, monochrome in some way, it's very hard for me to read that. And with this watch size, it's perfectly legible for me. So just the everything being bigger is easier on my eyes. 
And that's just sort of, a, I guess, an accessibility part of it all. The grid, you know, the honeycomb grid when you look for apps. Mm-hmm. I can see it clearly when it's just on like the, <laughs> the honeycomb view. And me and you both prefer honeycomb to the list view because oh, it's just 100%. 100%. for efficiency. Like you can just see more apps and, you know, because the and list you is can alphabetical. order them how you want. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So like, I, I think if, if I wanted a different mode on the Apple Watch home screen, I'd want something like what they did on the iPod Nano where they had four apps in like a two by two grid and you could rearrange sure, them like yeah. a little me home screen, like of an iPhone home screen kind of deal. That'd, that'd maybe work. But the the list view is just not. It's just silly. It's like you 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 want to switch from timer to like an app beginning with A or messages. You got to scroll scroll up and down so much to flip between yeah. it. So def- I know everyone hates on the honeycomb, but it does have a lot of utility and it looks nice too. I I think it looks really cool and yeah. it's the most useful it's ever been on the Apple Watch Ultra. Um, the Apple Watch Ultra, you know, does have some bezels that that don't get rounded off, so it's a little bit more prominent than on the Series Seven and Eight. But on that on that you know honeycomb view it does a really good job of looking like it's going edge to edge uh, and i i've spent the time to like rearrange the apps for the first time in years on the honeycomb to be like i want these ones to be tappable so i click the the, the crown go here can tap into an app that you know isn't on my watch face so uh, i love that aspect of it there's there's certainly things that i, I want it to do more kind of like when the watch first came out and you just every every app tried to do as much as it could from the iPhone on it. I think the Apple Watch Ultra size is like the first time that that's super justified and could probably work well. It's just too bad that software hasn't gone that way. There's so many apps that existed, but on you know 2015, 2016 that would be great on this screen size, but aren't there you know anymore. Um, and then like the the, the the feel of digital crown is is super smooth. You get used to it. The side button, like that's not dramatic for me. The the new action button, kind of what to do with that as a non shortcut user. Your options are pretty limited. The I, I tried using it as flashlight, but I just don't use the flashlight enough to justify that. And and then also it's pretty quick to access that from Control Center. Um, I, I I just settled on assigning it to launch the workout app. So I don't have to have like the the workout app does as a complication on your watch face doesn't change information for you really it's just the launcher so having a button do that and take it off of your watch face I think is pretty cool but what I really like is that you know you you can also have it not just launch the workout app but launch a specific workout from the workout app um, and by default it uses like your last twenty sessions to choose from but if you and so like for me it was just like a bunch of open goal workouts. But then I was like, I kind of want to use this button to click it and then start a 5K outdoor run goal. And once you run an outdoor 5K or even just like start it and then stop it, that becomes an option on your list because it is the last 20 sessions that you've had. And so now I can press the button and it immediately launches a a 3.1 mile outdoor run. And that is really cool. Like that's something I would have loved to have over the years before a race you just want to you know not think about the technology and just go and there 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 always was sort of okay the music i can click a button and start that on the air airpods for example um and then i want to be on this specific view of the workout app and not lose it and so i can hit the button and go and having a physical button for that i think is really cool so 
that that'll be one that it just depends on what your needs are. But for me, that being able to sign it to launch a workout is great. And I and I've had a few like accidental presses early on, um, but of you know you get used to it being there and you kind of adjust. Battery yeah, life. Yeah, I wish really... they put the button on the smaller watches, <laughs> and that probably happened. Series yeah. nine, series ten, kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. Battery life's been great, of course. You can you know you can Apple 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 Watch battery life is eighteen hours up to eighteen hours. Uh, on Apple Watch Ultra, it's double that at 36 hours. And then, you know, low power mode will get even longer. And then coming soon is the low power mode for workouts as well. For for even even better battery life when you're doing workouts. It's it, it feels like the first Apple Watch that I can comfortably use for sleep tracking. And this is before you think of like any of the extreme exercises. But just like because of the battery life, you get through a whole day sleep tracking. And then in the morning, you can recharge from like, 50 or 60 percent and a lot of people get that experience with apple watches in general um but but the ultra is just that much better at at doing that kind of feel like i'm borrowing from the next day if i if i do that with any other apple watch and then the best case scenario is to have like a sleep apple watch for track an older apple watch for tracking sleep at night so you don't have to worry about it but with the with the apple ultra better life being doubled it feels like you're, you're not borrowing time from yourself the next day you know by having to charge it so i like that about it um, mainly it's just like as an object, you know, as, as an Apple watch that you look at and appreciate if you felt bored in the, in the last several years of the way the Apple watch feels and looks, then this is different enough that, um, you know, it, it doesn't feel that way. Like it does not feel boring, even though it is literally the same watch with just a few different tweaks to it. And, and also, if, uh, you, you know, listeners may recall like the feeling of having an Apple watch early on, um, Kind of, kind of, you kind of felt like ahead of the curve there, and like you had something that was a little bit futuristic, and and then Apple Watches became everywhere. From like, you know, everyone you know has an Apple Watch if they have an iPhone. Um, you know, it, I don't. I, there's something about this one, you know, just being new for right now and looks a little bit different, different enough that you're like, that's not the same Apple Watch that we've always seen. Um, it kind of has that same effect again. Mm-hmm. So I like I like that aspect of it, like. Just as just as an Apple Watch for like the basic functions and everything, I am totally happy with it. Because I guess if if they did just come out with a Series Eight with a forty nine millimeter screen mm-hmm. and it had bigger battery, you'd have got that version anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah and you'd still and you'd been happy with that because it's an even bigger display. And the Apple yeah. Watch Ultra takes that and it mixes it up with a slightly different industrial design, and mm-hmm. you do get some of the features and stuff, but. Frankly, a lot of those features, I well, I'll ask you, I don't think you're going to use like, you're not going to do like super long, you know, ultra marathons, or you're not going to dive down to the 40 meters and that kind of stuff, right? Well, I'd love to dive, but I haven't had the opportunity yet. The the ultra marathon stuff, like, I, I think, you know, with, with Apple's marketing and introduction and everything, like, they show the most extreme stuff. Mm. And and then I think in, in reality, a lot of people who do those things are still like, ah, it doesn't quite do all the things I wanted to do. And so it's like Apple pushing a level ahead of what it probably is best at doing. But if you want to do the things, you know, before that I would do like, you know, run a race for two hours and and use LTE and share location and not have the phone with me and stream music like that, that would always be a race against, you know, the race itself and then the battery life of the Apple Watch. And, and as I mentioned in my AirPods Pro 2 review this morning, the AirPods as well, like if you would get four hours of battery life with 
of battery life with AirPods Pro and noise cancellation or transparency at 50% volume. But if you go above half percent, you know, half the full volume capacity, then it's, it goes down from the four hours. And now with, you know, you actually do get six hours of battery life. I've tested it with AirPods Pro 2. It, it kind of makes that concern less because like, let's just say you listen at, you know, probably not good for your ears, but a hundred percent the whole way, then you're going to get three hours of battery life which for a two-hour race is better than getting two hours of battery life on, out of four. So you, you're not going to, you know, race against your battery life. Same thing with the Apple Watch Ultra. You know, even if you're not trying to make it last for a day and a half, you're definitely going to make it last for the entire day, I believe. Even if, even if you do, you know, use it to its full extent on, uh, you know, a two-hour, two-hour, two two-and-a-half-hour run, uh, you know, my, my experience before was always like, you've got to nurse the battery before you don't, you know, don't use too much of it before the race starts. And then afterwards you, you are 100% going to charge that thing. If, if it even got to the end of the race for you, you know, hopefully it would and got better over time. But um, yeah, I, I think that the Apple Watch Ultra, I don't know about you, but like we're seeing people like just like tech people all over, um, try them out and kind of just use it as the new watch this year. And I think that's awesome to see. I really do think it's much more mainstream than the sort of like, extreme marketing that you get from the start oh, for, for sure like it's a it's basically as mainstream as the old steel ones were or you know like the, the apple watch series 8 steel like yeah just based price on price and, and positioning yeah. like obviously they show the super extreme you know conditions and mountains and diving and stuff but 99% of people that are going to buy this are people that would have bought the apple watch series 8 steel if that was the only option yeah. but now they've got an yeah. ultra to choose from as well yeah, and and I guess the last thing for right now is that um, I, I ended up selling the Series Seven for half the initial price of it, which is pretty good for for a stainless steel watch these days. <laughs> it's like double Apple's trade-in value. So, um, th- but but I, I took a lot of photos before I sold it, and the thing that the Ultra definitely does is it it does reposition the Series Seven and Series Eight as where before it was like, it's a very slight adjustment to the series six screen. Like it's the same shape and everything. The bezel is just somewhat smaller and you get that kind of curve effect on the edges with the Apple watch ultra being totally a flat display and much larger and like just not as pretty as jewelry in terms of like, just like niceness at a glance, you know, shiny, like it's, it's not shiny. Then it makes the series seven and series eight Apple watches, especially in, in stainless steel and maybe even in the, the, the older titanium versions look just so much nicer. Like even the aluminum ones, I think just look kind of futuristic compared to this watch. Like this watch is, is a certain taste, but if you compare it to, you know, a four, what are we at? 41 millimeter and 45 millimeter. Mm-hmm. For the others, like those look very futuristic now where before they looked dated relative to every watch that came before or you know at least the series four through six so it, it just it does to to my eyes have a cool effect on those watches like it, it revives them in a way that wasn't happening before for me um and it, it's just sort of like wow that that actually it, it makes it it makes the apple watch series seven and eight look less smart watchy like it was beginning That's to funny, feel yeah. yeah and more like oh that's if you you know if you're not going for the the most spec wise, you can really make it look pretty nice. And like, there's, you know, if you compromise on better life, you can, <laughs> you can do some pretty cool stuff with it. So, yeah. 
and, and you you i know obviously they all have cellular but you have cellular activated on it right yeah, I do. And just like, you know, I did the AirPods Pro Talk last week on this podcast. And then a week later, I wrote my review. I'll, I'll probably do that over the next couple of weeks with the Apple Watch Ultra. Um, because as it does get bigger, there is probably more incentive to at least try and use it as an independent device again. But watchOS probably still has the same issues, regardless of whether you're on a 45 millimeter screen or 49 millimeter screen in terms of actually getting stuff done without the phone being around. Yeah, I, don't, I haven't tried my classic thing, which is can you multitask on a phone call? But I don't think you can. There's no way that works. <laughs> yeah, That'd be there's no way. They'd enable that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, in terms of like using the the full keyboard for texting, for, like, apparently the speakers texting. and mics are a lot better if you actually want to do phone calls on the watch. Though, like the clarity mm-hmm. is a lot better. Yep. Although, if you use AirPods, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, what's and better, the, the 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 watch's microphone or the AirPods microphone? That'd be a, that'd be an interesting test. Yeah, I think the AirPods are still going to win in that case, but um, definitely for like playback. <laughs> uh, I mean, speaker wise, like it does feel kind of funny that you can't at least play a podcast on the watch, you know? Yet, um, I think music wouldn't sound great, but a, but a spoken audio is just as good as a phone call would be. Um, watch only. I think it's as embraceable as ever before. The bigger the watch, the more capable it feels in that way in terms of just like using a full keyboard or, or swiping around for text and that kind of thing. But if you're, you know, dictation first anyway, it makes no difference there. You know, no, no camera access, of course, is like the big one. But um, like I, I do for the last several months, I've paid for cellular and not every single day but like if i'm at the park with my kid and i've taken pictures recently of like him at this age at the park then i don't feel like oh i've got to not miss the moments and take pictures and video i don't feel like my full attention will be you know not having the phone in my pocket or in my hand and and not also not missing out you know with being connected so i'm it isn't like i'm like reviving that goal of being unconnected from the iphone but um, it's just kind of a continuation of, of finding out where that's most appropriate for me and, and not, and like, you know, anytime I go for, anytime I'm doing an outdoor run, I don't want the phone with me because I'm not going to stop and take pictures. I'm just not. And then, you know, it's, it's heavy and yeah. you can break it. <laughs> you know? So yeah. Uh, uh, and then what I was kind of getting at before was I'll, 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 I'll put the photos and everything in the review, but the, the wayfinder face like the Explorer face is, is one that you get the four dots for cellular connection on the watch face if you're on LTE. And um, I kind of find it interesting. There's a lot of ways you can customize the Wayfinder face. The default, you know, has all the compass <laughs> and barometer, all those like sensors active. Uh, and, and it's, again, like, you know, take it, take it from like, make it, make it an Apple Watch again instead of like this idea of you're going to go out and explore every single day all the time. And you can make it a, you know, bring in the same complications that you would use before, put them on that watch face, and you can do a pretty good job of making it just feel like a, a good watch face. There's a lot of different built-in color options that are not just solid color options, and there's not enough customizability of the watch face and that there's always something limiting that you want to do with the color scheme or the combination of colors and how the everything works out. I'll document that in my review better than I can say it on a podcast, but the the one thing that's kind of neat to me and frustrating, I guess, is that those signal indicators on the middle of the watch face, if you use the all white background, they they color match the blue, orange, or yellow. The dots do. Mm-hmm. 
And if you don't use the alt background, then they're green, like on the Explorer face. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so are the complications around the edges. Like you've got to use the all white background to get the, the to complications match to match yeah. the color. Otherwise they're full color complications. And there's, there's no, way, there's, there's a lot that you, if this something, isn't asking for third party watch faces, something, something. Well, <laughs> it's not even asking for custom watch faces like they're from third parties. It's just having a little Apple Watch studio, you know, on your iPhone or your watch where you can just say, I know that these are the default presentations, but I just want to make an all black version, not all white version with color complications That's, and, you know, a little matching signal indicator. Now, because what I want is all black, no white involved, and then the color complications, because I think they look pretty good. But that's not an option, <laughs> because there's always some limit to it. Um, but yeah, I imagine between now and when I end up you know, publishing the reveal, I'll have more organized thoughts and experiences. Right now, it's just, you know, the, the battery life claim, it lives up to what they what they say. I love the look and feel of it. I'm excited about it. I feel good having the watch. Like, you know, it's something that you, this has always been true of the watch, but like you want it to make you feel better. Like you want it to, you don't want it to feel like this is just a Fitbit on your wrist or something for some purpose. You want it to also have kind of a utility for you and, and then like make you feel better. Like you would feel better about having like a t-shirt that you like, or, you know, or something a pair of shoes you like. It, it, it has that for me right now. And so um, this year, it's the most interesting Apple watch to me that can change in the future, you know, from year to year, maybe they'll do something more, more, you know, future. Yeah, the evolution would be interesting. Like next year yeah. around the Series Nine versus maybe there isn't even an Apple Watch Ultra Two. They might not even do one. We don't know yet. Yeah, mm. I mean, not calling it a Series Eight feels like that's the case. From but maybe it's just because it's the first one. I mean, yeah. But personally, like I do hope that the next couple of Apple Watch Series versions aren't way different and like tempting. <laughs> and I want this Apple Watch Ultra to be the same for the next few years because as we talked about like the first week, there's with with the series watches, there's always like there's there's like one new thing per year. And with the Ultra Watch, like maybe they'll you know, you could do more well, obviously you could do more essentials, like you could have blood pressure, you could have um other things as part of the sensor uh you know, p- part of the watch. But I think in terms of just like specs, screen brightness and better life, it's it's just enough ahead right now that you've got several you know generations of of series watch to update yeah i don't think it's out of the question that the series nine can literally look identical to the series eight but they put an action button on the side like kind of thing which the ultra obviously already has yeah yeah chip wise inside like you know we'll we'll probably do for a a slight speed boost on the chip for the apple watches because the ultra is the same too right it's the old yeah chip it what are they they're the same as the series six six so six seven eight are the same Ultra's the same as the six, seven, eight, and then they, you know, they, 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 they do kind of have a pattern of, you know, every every few years. I think the, there's the first first generation was terribly slow, and then series one and two came out at the same time with the S two chip, and that was series two and three. I think four got faster, didn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the three probably did as well. Yeah, you're probably right. Anyway, like the, the, I I seem to remember the three looked the same as the two, but everyone loved it because the performance was a lot better. That was my that's my vague recollection. Yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> so that's what I've got for this week. I need to now like breathe and drink some water. But <laughs> you're you're off to do a marathon with your ultra. Yeah, it feels like I just did. <laughs> so yeah, we are yeah, I'm- also sponsored this week by A Logic to celebrate the launch of their new Clarity 4K display. 
and 9to5Mac is teaming up with A-Logic to give away the latest generation M2 MacBook Air. So keep listening to find out how to enter the giveaway. The A-Logic Clarity 4K monitor is a sleek external display for your laptop. It features an expansive 27-inch 4K panel with wide viewing angles and a thin bezel. The display panel is covered with high-quality glass for a beautiful glossy finish that helps to make the screen look even more vivid. And on the back of the monitor, you'll find a full set of I.O. to connect other peripherals, including two USB-A ports, USB-B, two HDMI ports, display port, USB-C, and a headphone audio out. And because you connect to the monitor with USB-C, all of that I.O. is connected with a single cable that features up to 90 watts power delivery to keep your laptop fully charged. And it comes with a completely adjustable metal stand with pivot, tilt, and swivel. You can even rotate the whole display to portrait. So that's the A-Logic Clarity 4K monitor on sale now for $799. Learn more using the link in the show notes. And if you want to enter to win the M2 MacBook Air, follow the link in the show notes and submit your name and email address. The giveaway is open to listeners in the US and Canada. Thanks to A-Logic for sponsoring the show. All right, Apple's uh, tech talks are back for another year. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's almost... It's, it's not exactly the same, but it's definitely like right. similar because the the tech talks were kind of like mini WWCs that they would host around the world, and I guess they did a virtual one during COVID and stuff. But like in the classic days, they would have WWC always in San Francisco or San Jose um, in June, and then in the fall, not every year, but I'd say like every couple of years, they do tech talks, which would be held in. America, Japan, the UK, Spain, like all around the countries, all various countries for like a few weeks in around October, November time. And it'd be an opportunity for developers to go there. They basically do repeats of some sessions that happened in June, but also maybe some new features. If there were new features coming in like the 0.1 or 0.2 releases, they'd have some updated uh, explanations. And then they'd have opportunities for labs and in-person discussions with engineers. And it was basically like mini WWDC held over like two days or whatever. Yeah, the, the first one I recall was 2013 after iOS 7. Mm-hmm. That was a big, big yeah. They did sometimes they coordinate them with like a big release. So like they did one in 2015 for the Apple TV for TVOS when the TVOS was going to be the big, next big apps platform and stuff. And um, but yeah, they definitely did one for iOS 7 and they've like dotted them in between. Uh, and now this year they've announced Ask Apple, uh, which is a new name. It runs from October 17th through the 21st, and it's a new series for developers to connect directly with apple experts according to the press release and basically it sounds like there's going to be a whole bunch of online question answer sessions where registered developers can get their questions in front of engineers and they get responses and you can have a like a bit of a group chat with a wider community because it's basically going to happen through slack so kind of like wwc did this as well like during the covid years they'd have slack rooms where you could talk about the sessions and so if you, you could watch the video and then you could chat with some, and they'd have some engineering presence in there too. Uh, and it sounds like they're basically just doing the, the Q&A part of that uh, for a few days and you can join in and they can do it in multiple languages, not just English, which is nice, Japanese, Korean, and Chinese as well, and covering all the topics you'd expect, including Dynamic Island stuff. I'm sure they'll talk about live activities and you know Swift UI evangelism and all, and all that jazz. Uh, but that's running from the, 20, from the 17th to the 21st. And they have some like one-on-one consultations you can book two but obviously they're more limited in terms of availability uh, but i think it's a pretty cool offering and this kind of stuff is the kind of thing that they almost feel more pressured to do i think under the like monopolistic climate because i think what we've seen since 2020 is apple's been like look 
we know we make loads of money from the app store. We're going to actually reinvest some of that and sh- try and show to regulators and lawmakers that we're not just like a payments processor and they do other stuff. And obviously there's, you know, they don't have to host developer conferences and developer sessions and stuff to make that argument, but it definitely helps their case. Like a lot of the epic arguments or the, um, like the hey email cases and stuff like that, they could always like kind of pick at the idea that Apple didn't really care about the developer, like rather than working with the development community, they just kind of like exploited them almost. And to some degree it's true. Obviously there's a lot of nuance and stuff and, you know, Apple wouldn't have uh, accrued a developer community that is so large and so vibrant for their platforms if they were, you know, that bad in the scheme of things, right? Like, yeah, like the the iPhone was a gold mine at the front, but that was ten years ago, and people still are, you know, the, the the developer community for the iPhone is still very vibrant today as it was ten years ago. So clearly, they do something to make people happy, right? But they can always do more, and I think we've seen them do more whether that's with the small small business program that that gave a lot of goodwill you know more money in people's pockets that's great uh, they've done more outreach and ask apple is kind of like the latest installment of that so i'm i'm happy to see it uh it is kind of like tech talks mini but still it's a nice way of like capitalizing on something that they probably wanted to do for other reasons but it also benefits you know the developer community i think it's a good idea yep and maybe take away from this something from the outside is that They've learned to make they've learned how to make WWDC as accessible, maybe even more accessible than before, using Slack. Like this is super interesting to me. And they, you know, just like they've they've done that for WWDC, now they're doing this with sort of the extension of, of WWDC after the fact. And yeah, it's and what's yeah, kind of funny actually is pretty the cool. Developer forums exist. So Apple has forums at like devforums.apple.com, but they are notoriously hated because they're just like a, not even a cesspit, they're just kind of barren. So you can ask, supposedly engineers like visit the forums and are meant to like chime in with help and stuff. But I swear 90% of the topics in that forum are just one person asking a question and no one answers. Like it's just completely dead. And you can like complain and then the, the, the even the threads that are more active, they're just developers talking about themselves about like a bug with something in the code that they kind of want an engineer or someone on the inside to comment on, but then they just never turn up. And that's one side of it in terms of just like, it's clearly not staffed very well, uh, aside from, you know, one or two people that you have to like cross your fingers that actually see the question and want to answer. And the dev forums, like infrastructure is so bad. Like the website they use, it's like a, it's like a bulletin board from the, I don't know, 2005. Like it's so bad. And they did actually, they remade it uh, two years ago or something, or three years ago. They re it was even worse before. And now it's like slightly better, but it's still terrible. And you can't really do like, image attachments or screenshots or like the whole thing is just terrible uh so it's kind of hilarious that when it comes down from when it comes time for wwc or for uh these uh, ask apple stuff they don't use the dev forums because i think apple themselves know it's kind of rubbish they end up relying on slack and it would be great if they could overhaul dev forums to use something more modern like the uh the swift because swift's open source right so the swift forums use a different product called discourse i believe and that but that's like a like so like discourse is the product that makes the forum online and then they they use it for all sorts of people and you can basically like license it out um kind of like wordpress right but for like forums and the swift forum is so much better and it has more in- interaction from like apple engineers like everybody who do develop for ios they want like the swift language style forum to come to the dev forums at apple but they still haven't done it and they keep sticking to this stupid thing that they have uh 
but these Ask Apple sessions uh, mitigate that somewhat. Sounds good. Mm. Uh, also, we've got uh, Ross Young, who is, I think, the biggest proponent of saying that the mini LED version of the Apple Studio display is coming. And uh, it, I think we've, we've gone from like spring to fall to uh, next year. Yeah, next it keeps year. slipping, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, I think Ross Young, he's got a lot of stuff, right? I think that he's, him being kind of the voice of this product is kind of makes it feel better than if it's like some, you know, random Twitter account or something. Yeah, he said um, push to Q1 twenty. Yeah, the, the, the timing of it all, like, I wonder what he would say about it, but, um, you know, I, I feel like, I think a lot of us agree with this, but that having the mini LED version of the city display, like right after the city display, which was already hard to get it initially, would, would feel weird. Like you go from the March launch of the city display to like a June launch of the mini LED version. Like that wasn't going to, that, that always felt like it was just not a plan. Um, fall, you know, like say six months later, maybe. Um, but I, I, I I guess I wouldn't feel, I think what it feels like the most reasonable, like all along is if it's one year out from the studio display launch, it's like, and here the next year, the next March event, you know, where we've got this op, this tier, you know, in between the two, or maybe this is, maybe this even becomes like the pro display XDR, you know, more, more down to earth priced, um, display and even could even see the pro dx the pro display xdr taking like the, the path of you know like past mac pros where it's the current best high-end thing from apple and then they kind of replace it with something that is could be better and cheaper like you know because the, the pro display xdr it's, it's it's not mini led is it the pro display xdr well it has it's, dimming it's zone, maxi it's, LED. Yeah, it's like a because the 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 Pro Display XDR has five hundred dimming zones, yeah, and, and then the iPad Pro has like a million. Yeah, like three thousand or something insane. And obviously, the screen size is like a third the size, so the density of dimming zones is way higher. Yeah, um, and same with the MacBook Pro, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's what people when people say like I think technically the Pro Display XDR counts as a mini LED panel because of the way it's constructed, but it's not like the modern mini led that you see in the ipad and the MacBook pro and i still uh, i still think the MacBook pro's mini led is better than the ipad somehow like the, just the diffuser for the mm-hmm. like the backlighting just makes the mm-hmm. the um the bloom like way less noticeable like the ipad and pro the, bloom is like really you can really visible but on the MacBook pro it's a lot better it's not it's not yeah. invisible but it's definitely a lot better so iPad i would pro love has... them to turn the MacBook pro display and make it 27 inches for an external display. yeah and that's hopefully what this is going to be but it, obviously it keeps getting pushed back iPad Pro also has the darker borders around the edges, which, like, I don't know what you'd call that, but... Oh, the vignetting. Yes, the vignetting. The the MacBook Pro has that. Not sure if it's in notes with the iPad, but it definitely does have that. Yeah. Um, On the iPad, to me, it feels like like another layer of bezel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like... I think they could have shipped this alongside the studio's place if they wanted to. Like, I'm sure the timing's just more about supply chain... They're not sure, ready yet yeah. to ship it rather than like market positioning because this thing's going to be expensive. This is obviously the successor to the Pro Display XDR rather than like the Studio Display, okay. right? So this isn't like Studio Display 2. This is Pro Display XDR 2. So, and I hope the price comes down from the six grand price of the Pro Display XDR, but I'm not expecting that it come down that much. Maybe it'd be like... It'd be cool if they include this, the tilt stand. Like the, 
the basic stand if they include then, a stand yeah it would be yeah it'd be, it'd be cool if they include a stand i'm hoping <laughs> the price does go down a little bit because mm-hmm. i do think the the prototype price is overpriced even for what it is like i know it's a high-end thing but it's still expensive so Th- this would be a good thing to put out with the apple silicon mac pro because the prototype xdr and the last intel mac pro they like they're the same design and as much as a display and a tower computer can be the same design you know they both got the the, the, the cutouts and the <laughs> for ventilation and everything well maybe that's what's going to happen in q1 they announced the new mac pro as well because i think you know apple said they were going to be done with the apple silicon transition within two years and that implied that the mac pro was going to be updated in 2022 i think that was the obvious implication from the fact they teased it at the end of the march event and Obviously, it's not out yet, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be out before the end of the year either. So uh, maybe they're just delaying it all together to announce the new Mac Pro and the monitor to go alongside it. But I'm kind of hoping that they do a mini LED 27-inch 120Hz display, 5K, and it'll be around like four grand, <laughs> which is still expensive, but it is $2,000 cheaper than... They could the they could do a 5K and 6K option, so you've got 27 and 32 inch. Well, and you remember that thing Philippe, uh, Philippe Esposito found in the code where it was going to be like 7K resolution, even you know even oh. more dense. Uh, so we'll see. I'm kind of in the market for a new external display, and I almost pulled the trigger on a studio display because I've just moved and like setting up the new desk and stuff. But yeah, wait. I a want to wait to see what this is, and b the studio display has one big flaw. And so does the prototype still now to think about it, in that I use a laptop, a MacBook, or a notebook, wherever you want to describe it. Uh, and I have a PC that I play games on in the same place. And so currently the external display I have uh has a just it has more than one input on it, so I can just switch the input and switch from PC or Mac. The studio display does not support multiple inputs. Uh, you, so, you need a, you need a you need a need a work desk and a gaming desk. I need to, or like, oh my god, two, like, that's two monitors. Such a pain. Like, like you've never gamed on your PC side and like kind of wanted to reference like tweet tweet deck over on the other side. Like, yes, but what I do yeah. is I have my laptop. Oh, so that's oh, how I, I get around it. I have the laptop always is always a Mac. The external display while I'm working on the Mac shows the Mac screen. And then when yeah. I play on the games, I load up TweetDeck and everything on the laptop screen and use them just one external display for the Windows PC. I think for, I feel like for gaming, you could get a better like gaming monitor with the specs that you want. Yeah, but I don't game like better seriously. Price. I game like casually. Like so, well, I really I, want the the nicer <laughs> screen for the Mac side. Like to game at all is a five K retina or whatever. Yeah, so because I yeah, only I basically play one game on it, so I don't really care like, about that. Don't, but, uh, for like gaming, don't you you, you don't want to exceed four K right now, right? Like maybe. Well, you can always go... just change the resolution around. Like yeah, like so if I get a, like if I got a five K Apple display and I plug it into the Windows computer, I just set the resolution to something lower. If you see what yeah. I mean, like I, half I, resolution I, or something. I I brief I like vaguely recall um, my friend Jared Locke, Crit Nine Five Toys, who like cares a lot about gaming, finding a great specs for a great price that he was comfortable with and he's not like someone to spend abundantly on on tech so yeah i mean you can 100% get like a 4k nice lg monitor we spoke about this on the show before right but i want a 5k one for the for the retina on the mac side and studio display is expensive not perfect doesn't have 120 and it doesn't have two inputs but there's no guarantee that the new 27-inch Mini do have two inputs either. So 
I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm certainly not going to buy the Studio Display right now. I'm going to at least wait and see what Apple's higher end option is. LG or Chig? Oh, it's yeah, it's still nine hundred dollars for that particular thing. <laughs> yeah, you can get like five hundred dollar four K monitors to be perfectly fine, but I want a five K yeah. one so. or higher because <laughs> the Pro Display are six K, isn't it? Yeah. Finally, this week. We are sponsored by Pillow. More and more studies are showing that getting a good night's sleep improves your health and well-being in more ways than you can imagine. Pillow is an all-in-one sleep tracking app to help you be more aware of your sleep patterns and discover what might be affecting your sleep quality. Pillow tracks and analyzes your sleep automatically and you can check in with a full report of your sleep the very next morning. If you have an Apple Watch, tracking your sleep is as easy as wearing it to bed. If you don't, you can do it through the iPhone or iPad app. Just tap a button to start your sleep session. You can even record sounds of the night like sleep talking, apnea, or other noises that might be affecting how you sleep. Use the Pillow app to check trends, get personalized insights, and compare your sleep metrics with your weight, steps, caffeine consumption, and more. And use smart alarms to get woken up at the most optimal time, aiming to wake you up when you're in a stage of lightest sleep. Importantly, Pillow is privacy-minded. All of your sleep and audio data is encrypted and stored on your device and in iCloud using end-to-end encryption. Pillow is free to download from the App Store with a set of features that you can use for free every day. And you can try Pillow's premium features with a seven-day trial. Just visit pillow.app to get started. That's pillow.app to get started. Thanks to Pillow for sponsoring the show. Thanks, Pillow. This has been a big week for uh, me finding obscure Steve Jobs quotes to deploy. Go on then. Okay, yeah. So when I... (laughs) When, when iTunes came, when, when iTunes came to the the Windows, Steve Jobs famously called it. Um, he, you forgot. He said, <laughs> he, he said it's like giving a glass of ice water to somebody in hell. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this week, the news is that Apple Music proper and Apple TV, the, the app, will come to Windows PCs next year. This is the same time. Uh, like the same day as Windows or excuse me, Apple Music coming to to Xbox, matching uh, I guess PS PlayStation. Yeah, it's already on PlayStation. Yeah, yeah, and um, Windows 11 will also integrate with iCloud Photos. So, and and that's a improvement from what having a Photos folder. They would have like be- a Photos folder, yeah, and it would do the like optimized storage thing, but obviously it's a lot clunkier because it wasn't in a nice photo library style application yeah and and, and this will be what now you can have it like basically like the equivalent of the apple photos experience uh but on windows like the native windows photos app will have an icloud photos option and you can just stream all your pictures that way which is nice if you're because like the iphone's so popular the mac isn't so popular most people that have iphones have a windows pc it's just statistics so if you can make the windows experience better that's great and it's obviously driving back to services revenue because if you want to make iCloud Photos appealing to people, now they can get it on the laptop as well. And it, it like it did exist on the Windows side before, but it was it wasn't great. And maybe this won't be great either, but it definitely seems like it would be a lot better. Uh, you better get you know optimized originals, organize everything to albums, see all like your photos and stuff in the same photo app that you're already using if you're on Windows. So I think yeah. that's a good change. What is the Finder called on Windows? Is it called Explorer? Explorer, yeah. Or was it Internet Explorer? No, it's Explorer. And then Internet Explorer Explorer as well? Yeah. Cool, cool. So you kind of go from Explorer to the proper Photos app, which is a pretty, I would imagine, a pretty good quality of life upgrade for for managing that. Like Apple's serious about selling services. I'd say, I guess, here as like maybe Dropbox is or Box. 
Yeah, and they've um, done other Windows stuff recently, like they put um, yeah. iCloud Keychain in the Windows iCloud app, mm-hmm. so you can actually get your passwords in auto-filled on Windows now as well, which is nice. Um, but yeah, so iCloud Photos, that's in the Windows Insider de- beta program right now, and it will be shipping in November. And then the Apple Music and TV apps will be available on the Windows Store sometime in 2023 with beta versions of those coming soon to test cool. out i guess in like you'll, you'll have to try them out on your windows i will after installing them on the game pc i am curious to see what like because apple tv app on the only desktop experience that you have right now native desktop experience you have the mac app but the mac app was like the mac app is basically like the itunes app slightly stripped down to only have the videos tab because it has like you can put your personal videos and stuff in it and then they've got like the tv plus tab and there's the itunes store tab so it'd be interesting to see what they do on that side because they the tv app on like xbox is way different to a tv app for like an actual pc because it has a different design different layout it'd be interesting to see how what they do there maybe it's just the website tv.apple.com like in a emulated browser kind of thing you know like electron style whatever they call it on windows that kind progressive of web app yeah yeah a progressive web app that kind of sucked because the the website sucks but hopefully it's like a proper native app similarly on the music side it's another interesting question because what they did on the mac for going from itunes to music was to take itunes and rebrand it slightly and then call it music right it's still itunes really underneath you can see a lot of the craft of itunes still there but on windows they have itunes as well and itunes on windows really sucks so it'd be really bad if that was the gla- that was the glass of ice water in hell years ago. Exactly, but now it's now it's <laughs> it not melted. so it's not it so cold. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe so. If it, the music app on Windows is also just a stripped down iTunes and rebranded, that's basically be the same experience that people on Windows have today, and that would be very nice. What would be cool is if they have like a proper Apple Music app on Windows, like what they have on the Xbox or on other platforms where it's just like apple music only like what they have on apple music for android right a completely separate application it's not connected to itunes at all and it only does apple music and it's more modern and it works better that'd be great and if that's true there'd be an argument that maybe the apple music experience on windows is better than the mac version because the mac version i wish they did you know like done like an ipad version of the like an ipad app kind of style catalyst kind of style because if you just want to do apple music you still get a lot of iTunes craft in the music app on Mac, unfortunately. But we'll see what happens. Again, maybe they just take music.apple.com and slip it in a web app wrapper. Uh, but hopefully not. Hopefully it's like proper applications. Yeah. I, 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 I would say that on the Mac side, the iTunes craft is partly by design to satisfy some other users. Like, and I remember a long time ago, they, they had a version of iTunes that you could still download separately for like managing, I don't know, apps. When that was a thing. Uh, <laughs> well, I think I, if they were, I, I think in hindsight, they should have made an Apple Music app, which is like an iPad Catalyst version, or they could have done a native, yes. you know, if they wanted to, and stick iTunes in the utilities folder. So if people want to do the class, you yeah. know, the more traditional file management style of iTunes, they could still access it. But most people these days are streaming. They're streaming Apple Music. That's what they want to use the music app for. That should be the priority. Yeah, except uh, that on the... if it, there's one piece of iTunes on the Mac that I still that I like, which is crossfading songs. Mm. Imagine that available uh, on, on the Android. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm curious on the Windows side, the transition from iTunes to music app going forward. Um, how it seems like there's a couple of missing pieces: uh, Apple Podcasts and Apple Books, and those are still Apple only apps. 
except that I guess before you could do Apple Podcasts and iTunes, because that used to be a part of iTunes on the Mac as well. Mm. I don't know. It's been so long since I used Windows. So I really can't speak to that, but... Yeah, I'd be shocked if that's still inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that was in the Steve Jobs uh, quote uh, bag this week, is that uh, there's a few Apple TV Plus titles coming to Blu-ray, and that's that's when I summoned out the the Steve Jobs Blu-ray as a bag of hurt. Quote. <laughs> Just like when we covered For Mankind coming to Blu-ray, these are just HD, not Ultra HD. So no no 4K on physical media. If you want TV Plus stuff, you've got to subscribe if you want 4K. Which is a shame because I think with streaming, there's inherent compression that you've got to deal with and that if you were to have the best version on Blu-ray, you'd have the best version possible. But Apple doesn't want to sell you that and they want to sell you a $5 a month subscription. So you're not going to get it. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's some Apple TV Plus stuff as well. Talking about advertising, what's that? Sorry about yeah. So DigiDay is reporting that Apple has been talking with video ad agencies about opening up ad inventory beginning in 2023 for their TV app. So essentially, putting ads in the TV app in some way. Uh, I think first and foremost, this is for their live sports stuff. Like Apple wants to be selling ads for MLB for the next season. They want to be selling um, ads for Major League Soccer, which obviously starts in 2023. And presuming they do close on NFL Sunday ticket, they want to sell ads to that because that's tens of millions of eyeballs that they can monetize with advertising. Um, but Digiday also says that maybe Apple's working on a... They they report it as fact, but it's not really clear what their source is on this. They say that they, Apple's actually going to do a TV Plus tier that is ad-supported. So you'd be cheaper, you get ads. Instead, uh, whereas right now it's 4 99 a month, no ads, but there's no cheaper option. Yeah, pr- Probably not to mean free with ads. But I mean, maybe, maybe, but, but, but pro- it might. Prob- prob- I think what's likely to happen is TV Plus price is going to rise. That's an inevitability. Yeah. Five, five bucks with ads, and then you know, eight ninety nine or something eight, without ads. Yeah, yeah something. Like yeah, that. I mean, and people are going to freak out like, oh, now they're just adding ads into the same price. It's like the price of TV Plus is going up. That's a fact. Like, All these companies, you- streaming services, the prices will rise because none of them are making any money apart from Netflix, and it's only just about making money. So all the prices are going up. And to mitigate the price increases, they're all, every major streaming service apart from Apple has, is shipping or has announced an ad-supported tier. So yeah, and Apple's you've the, said from the old one out here. Yeah, yeah you said from the beginning that the four ninety nine price for Apple TV, like it plus is, uh, it, it's it's always meant to increase over time when the catalog expands. And I would say the catalog's expanded a pretty good bit mm-hmm. since the launch. Yeah, the price is going to go up at some point, whether it's maybe next year, up a little bit. And if they have an ads tier, they can say to people, look, if you don't want the price to go up, carry on watching it. Here's some ads. If you want to, if you don't want ads, you can pay seven ninety nine. Because I don't think the prestige allure of like what Apple's branding is for TV Plus is impacted at all by whether they have an ads tier or not. Like Game of Thrones, obviously widely regarded as one of them, you know, best series of the last decade. No one would have cared if that was shown on YouTube, right? It was the quality of the show that mattered. It doesn't really, like the way that you received it, whether it was with ads in between, obviously HBO doesn't have commercials, but on HBO Max, they HBO Max has an ads tier now. People are used to it. Netflix is launching ads tier. Like Disney Plus is going to launch an ads tier in December. And they are doing exactly what you just said, where the current Disney Plus price of $8.99, is it? Something like that. Yeah, Disney Plus is $8.99 right now with no ads. From December, yeah. it'll be $8.99 with ads. And it'll be $11 if you want no ads. So 
this is just happening, right? These streaming services, they prioritized getting subscriber numbers. Now they need to actually make some money off them. So the prices are going up. Ads are a way to keep prices down, especially in this like inflation, you know, weak economy climate. So uh, and I they, have no they problem with them to... doing an ads tier. If they want to do like people are going to say, well, look, they just put the price up. It's like, yeah, they're going to put the price up anyway. So yeah. carry on offering. I know. I mean, they, like Apple's still generous in the fact that they only have they don't have like a separate HDR 4K tier. Like Netflix is really annoying where it's like the basic tier is like 720p or 1080p. Like they don't even give you 4K until you spend like $20 a month. Like Apple, though, I think they can add an ads tier and then the top tier will still be like full quality and everything. So I'm fine with it happening. It's going to happen. Like the price is going to go up more. That's an inevitability. They want to mitigate with an ads option. Go for it. Yeah, the strategy for every service is, is launch at an unsustainable price grow an audience and then adjust from there. That's, that's, that, 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 that's a, you know, that's not as like egregious as putting ads and Apple maps. hundred percent. That, yeah. That's way worse. Way worse. The things that Mark Gurman's reported, or even the thing that they actually have done so far, which is put more, more ads in the app store besides just search ads, you know, like on the today view and on other ad uh, or other app pages. Um, yeah, you, you last, don't get a discount on the app store apps uh for seeing the ads no. that's just money apple pockets yeah that'd be cool though <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh and then lastly there's this uh a little bit more tv plus stuff uh johnny ive is becoming a tv plus executive producer yeah this is just this. funny so they've announced a new sh- animated short coming that's going to be available on christmas day called the boy the mo the fox and the horse and it starts like Idris Elba and voiceover and Tom Holland and the people. Um, and it's a cute little animated film for Christmas, right? But at the very bottom of the press release, it says, this film was executive produced by Johnny Ive and other people. But there you go. Johnny Ive just randomly popped up to executive produce something. Yeah, it's Johnny Ive and Woody Harrelson, who is, you know, a well-known actor. Uh, I, I kind of looked back, like, try to like, trace around this, like, is there another Johnny Ive? Or is this, what is this? Uh, Woody, Woody Harrelson was at Johnny Ives' Christmas tree unveiling in 2016, I believe the year was, in in London at that hotel when it was a really sparse Christmas tree. He was like, uh, he he was there for that based on um, uh, uh, Getty Images online, and then J.J. Uh, Abrams' production company is attached to this as well, and and Johnny like did, said that the lightsaber in the in J.J.'s first Star Wars movie should be, you know, the way that it was, which which is, there's a lot a lot of connection here to Johnny Ives, so. This is, you know, his 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 executive producer. It's like Forstall, right? Whenever he uh, executive produced a Broadway play, it's right. I think it's writing a check mostly for like to make it happen because then there's like actual producers, et cetera. So some producers actually do work. Some producers give money. Some producers just put their name to things. It varies. Ex Apple execs, execs are probably like check writers. Yeah, I, I, I guess. Um, and then there's the uh, Charlie Brown stuff going on. Oh yeah, so uh, for another round, obviously Apple's had an exclusive deal with Charlie Brown for many years now. They've done you know new specials and they've also got all the classic archive stuff. They in 2020, if you remember, Apple originally said that they were going to stream the you know like the the it's a big pumpkin Charlie Brown and the Thanksgiving special and the Christmas special, which I believe in America is like a cultural thing. It's not so much a thing over here. Uh, but anyway, in 2020, they originally said it was going to be exclusive to Apple TV+. Plus. We'll give you a free window so you don't need an account to watch it. Everyone freaked out about it. Nobody was happy. So Apple made a deal with PBS to show it on PBS as well. So they did a broadcast of PBS and it was streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. 
Then in 2021, they repeated that. So it was available on both PBS and TV+. This year, no PBS rights, Apple TV Plus only. There's a few days of freebies uh, where if you don't need a subscription, if you want to watch the spe- the classic special, if you do have a subscription, you can obviously watch it any time of the year. I don't live in America. I don't know the cultural relevancy of Charlie Brown stuff. Obviously, people are annoyed that it's not going to be available on some kind of broadcast. But my understanding is that for some years it was available on cable. Like before it was on PBS, it was on like ABC or something, which you have to pay for separately anyway. So I don't know if that's really much different to it only being on TV+. And Apple's still giving you a free day to see it. People immediately say, well, it's only free for those three days. It's like, yeah, but in the old times, it would only been on once a year on broadcast on one time. And if you missed it, you missed it. So I don't, I can't really get too mad about it. It's just interesting that, you know, Apple gave people two years of reprieve with a PBS deal. And now they're like, yeah, we're, we're having it all exclusively. I'd be more annoyed, to be honest, if they were like, hoarding the the charlie brown stuff like they weren't investing in the franchise but they they obviously are like they have new specials they have new series you know they have a documentary they like they haven't just like bought a load of catalog content and just shoved it in the the library and closed it off like the the there are more there's more peanuts content out there now because apple made this deal than there would be without it so they've they've treated it pretty well i I have to say and i can't get too worked up that they actually want to reap the benefits of themselves rather than people watching on pbs but yeah, meanwhile, in the UK, your Johnny Live TV TV movie is going to be only in the BBC. Oh, yeah. We haven't got that. The, 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 fo- the Boy, the Mo, and the Fox, or whatever it's called, is a co-production of the BBC. So in the US and everywhere else, it will be streamed on TV+. Plus. In the UK, it will be on BBC. Yeah. The the thing with the Peanuts, I know we've discussed this in previous years as well, but uh, PBS, Public Broadcasting Station, uh, ABC as well would not be a cable subscription required channel but back in the days of like pre-2009 when uh like over the air antenna channels were accessible without anything digital then you can probably pick up your local abc cbs nbc fox pbs stations if they're like in broadcast range of you over the air for free um, I guess the only change really was that they then made them all digital and then you need a conversion box instead of just your antenna. But anyway, those would be accessible without any sort of a payment. You know, I, I, there was a time in my life where I lived with like the four channels for free before um, my family had gotten direct TV back in the nineties. Um, so, but, 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 you know, I, I will say, I, I know like, you know, we're, we're tech folks and, and um, you know, lean lean more into you know streaming anyway than we would classic cable and satellite. Um, but I I I do think of P- <laughs> this is just me I know, but I do think of PBS as like harder to access on my television than it is to access like Apple TV on the computer, you know, or TV if you've got like anything that's connected to the internet. Um, like if I were, if it were on PBS only and I, you had to have, uh, you know, a tuner or something like I would then stream it on their channel anyway, you know, their app. So it's pretty equivalent to me these days from my perspective. Yeah. I think the only argument you can make is that Apple still hasn't released a TV app for Android phones, which cuts off a lot of people for no reason. And I think if they're doing a native TV app for windows, they're probably going to do a native TV app for Android. They just haven't announced it slash finished it yet so it's it's the last one on the list right There's yeah windows. literally now it's the last one on the list yeah. windows ubuntu um black blackberry and then and, blackberry. And, 
<laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, last last thing from the Apple TV Plus universe is, is a big wide universe is that uh, you're familiar with Ted Lasso, the Apple TV I think Plus I've series. Heard of it, yeah. Yeah. So in season two, not not to spoil anything, but there is a a fictional dating app called Banter, which is B A N T R, no E, and uh, it, it's part of the plot. It's it's you know a sponsor of the team, etc. Uh, I guess the the great minds behind Ted Lasso and the the, fr- the franchise is, you know, t- they they brought Ted Lasso to a lot more places. Like he's in the FIFA game, right? Yep. Um, there's there's merchandise available. They definitely be doing brand integrations for sure. <laughs> yeah. the 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 latest innovation is bringing the concepts and like marketing of banter from Ted Lasso to the dating app Bumble as a as a blind date chat based feature in the Bumble app and it's like every Thursday night through the rest of the year at 7 p.m. your local time the feature is available <laughs> I I like it I think it's clever and neat and uh pretty pretty cool way of you know bringing TV plus universe to the real universe um but yeah, that's what it is. So. Yeah, it's pretty random, but it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's a good look, everybody. Um, that is the Happy Hour podcast for this week. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can leave a rating or review. You can recommend the podcast to a friend. We really appreciate that. Uh, you can subscribe uh, in Apple Podcast specifically to the ad-free version, which is five bucks a month or fifty dollars a year. And if you have any feedback, you can email Benjamin Mayo and I at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. You can follow me on Twitter at ApolloZak. It's A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C. Same thing on Instagram. And Benjamin, you're on Twitter at BZA Mayo. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.